Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 48, The Bravery of Idiots. This week we're discussing series 4, episode 5 of Doctor Who, The Poison Sky, and season 3, episode 13 of Buffy, The Zeppo. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, the poison sky. Here we mm. we we start in Medias Res, and we've got mm-hmm. the doctor right climbing under the car, trying to open it with his. I'm not sure what he's doing underneath the car with his sonic screwdriver that he thinks will work to get Wilf out. Um, I think he's still trying to stop the gas coming out, maybe. Oh, maybe. Since he can't get the door open, he's working on disabling the Atmos Um, device. That's my... But I I predicted Wilf is okay at that point. I I did say, you know, I thought he would be. Um, Yes. And and I didn't... I didn't voice it, but I did sort of think like, why doesn't someone just break a window? And of course, that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't get credit for that because I didn't officially sort of say it. But don't get credit if you don't say it out that, loud. That's right. But I hear that's you. Right. Um, but I, I, it was one of the several things that I did wonder at that point. Like, hmm, I wonder yes. how he's going to get out. Um, so you know, cool. Sylvia seems to be sort of. We sort of see where Donna's practical nature come, yes. <laughs> comes in. Uh, yeah, the, there is... Sylvia's not all nagging that some of some of the kind of down to earth, blunt practicality that we like about Donna yeah. seems to come from Sylvia, and her sort of dreamy qualities come more from the Wilf line. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it seems like yeah, like that's a little bit of a likable side of Sylvia because I think Sylvia can be a little bit abrasive. Uh, unlikable so it's nice to see her get a nice little hero moment there um but i do like that that it's not necessarily the doctor who saves him um even though he's sort of it's interesting because and and actually i think i didn't really think about this till just now but there's a couple moments in this episode where you do see that the doctor has his sort of mindset where he's like oh i've got my sonic screwdriver so i'm gonna you know fix whatever with that but you know um just even like things with like the guns and stuff like there's that Mm. one moment where he has with with colonel mace and and colonel mace kind of calls him out he's like oh you're you're kind of interested in what's going on here aren't you and doctor's like no no i'm you know (laughs) it's like no actually you know what i mean you know i'm not one for militarism and and all of that either but there is something impressive about you know the big ship coming down and blowing everything away and the fact that they yeah. were able to overcome the cord cordelane whatever mm-hmm. the the yeah. thing that stopped the guns from shooting like they were able to technologically overcome that so yeah. um you know in that whole little speech that uh mace gives about and we're not supposed to be necessarily talking about mace yet but but i think yeah. this is in relation to the doctor's character because i think he's right to sort of be impressed in those moments, even, even though I think he's still, you know, sort of right in his dislike of guns and, you know, irritation yeah. about people continuing to point guns at other people and that sort of thing. At the yeah. same time, you sort of have to say, you know what though, the Centaurans are a military force and you do, it, there's a legitimate self-defense component here 
that yeah. you have to respond in kind, even if you yeah. don't like it. And even if it's you know, maybe kind of cool might not be the right word, but kind of intriguing at least, or, or interesting and, and cool in the sense of look at what we can do with technology, even though ultimately that is destructive. Um, so, yeah. no, and I think there's a, you know, as much as a kind of militarism is a dangerous thing, I think, isn't it, um, G.K. Chesterton said the only defensible war is a war of defense, that there's right. something, no, there's a nobility to military defenses, that when you're, when, when your home is being invaded, yeah. when your people are being threatened, there is a nobility to standing up against that and having the absolutely the 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 power to resist and everything it's it's when your quote defense you know comes by invading other countries or you know setting up outposts in other parts of the world that aren't really defensive uh, exactly you know strategies that 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 becomes an issue but yeah no i think that's right i think that that there is a sort of impressiveness um there that that we even I, I like that they sort that he does that Mace does sort of call the doctor out on that. Like, oh, this is intriguing to you. Like, you are sort of yeah. interested, yeah. Y- you know, um, in in what's going on here. So, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how yeah, I no, got the doctor from him. The doctor's Sorry. the doctor. Some well, I was just gonna say he um, kind of like I was saying last week that I thought a lot of his, um, you know, uh, making sure everyone knows how he feels about guns and how he feels about violence and being very vocal about that. How much of that might be in response to Donna's question about, did you turn Martha into a soldier Mm. that, you know, that there is a part of him where, which is might feel uncomfortable around these things, but then there's a part of him that, you know, is he will use those means when they're necessary Mm -hmm. and might even, admire certain aspects of them even if he doesn't really want to admit it and mace kind of calls him out on being impressed by things and he kind of denies it but it's like well i don't know like he's denying it a little too quickly you know well and And i think in you know you can understand his reticence but you also have to remember he was in a war himself you know there's the time war is still looming over him so and and i assume at some point we'll continue sort of learning a little more in drips and drabs about that but uh maybe larger portions than drips and drabs even but uh you know there is that like like you you can understand both both sides sort of of the issue of of how it can sort of be intriguing to him but also repulsive to him Mm -hmm. um in that sort of context um so yeah so very very interesting but but i I was going to say, I'm not sure how quite got from him climbing under a car with his sonic screwdriver to, you know, his impressiveness of the defenses um, and, and the sort of glee that he has when he sees the ship coming down. Cause he does sort of express a, Oh wow. Isn't that really cool? You know, yeah, he has yeah. that moment. Um, uh, I forget the ship's name, but he, but he says it in that moment. The, like, the, valiant. the valiant. The valiant. Oh yeah. The valiant. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and he even says it and it's, you know, he does sort of take a pride and because it is sort of a, um, you know, uh, monument maybe, or maybe monument is not the right word considering how mobile it is and, and it's still in use, but, uh, testament or whatever to sort of, you know, human ingenuity and, and mm-hmm. construction and all of those 
sort of the good side of of that um industriousness yeah. uh i i suppose i might set that uh as opposed to like industrialism <laughs> you know yeah uh, yeah anyway so um the, uh, yeah, no, I think that's a good thing to pick up on is his kind of ambiguous relationship to those things and the fact that he kind of feels both at the same time, mm -hmm. I think is right. really important. Right. Yeah, and it's there's clearly a, a sort of a pull, uh, mm -hmm. you know, from both of them. Um, and, I mean, let's face it, he, at the end, is going up to destroy a whole bunch of Centaurans with a really high-tech bomb basically yep you know no, <laughs> so like, i was i i was just thinking do i do i make that point and jump ahead but i think let's because that's what we're talking about is at the end of the day uh you know after all his protests about guns and nonviolence and all these things it's the doctor who you know is kind of preaching those things on the one hand and then pretty much does not do what he preaches yeah. you know he yeah I mean, he doesn't now use it's a gun still in defense he uses it's still something in much defense. more destructive <laughs> yeah no he's he's as much as he's you know chastising the humans for carrying their guns around he pretty much takes a bomb onto the ship and gets ready to blow them out of the sky the whole race right. not even a person or two but the whole not or, the whole race yeah, i suppose the, there are the other whole the whole or whatever the whole battle fleet or yeah, whatever yeah. so um yeah, there's a kind of discordance between most of what he's saying throughout these episodes and his and you, that's kind of where you can see the old soldier, you know, the part of him that might feel guilty about his actions and might be very um ambiguous about whether those actions are justified, but on the other hand is still willing to, you know, fight and yeah. like destroy his enemies when when necessary yeah. and pretty spectacularly so well so. and that's that's interesting because yeah well man this is all sort of fitting in nicely because you just said the word fight right but that's exactly what he says he's not doing colonel may says yeah. you know good to have you fighting alongside us doctor and and he says i'm not fighting i'm i'm not yeah. fighting as in not hyphen fighting <laughs> you <Yeah>. know like <laughs> um you know, like yeah. he's, he, 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 but he is fighting. I mean, he's yeah. willing to destroy yeah. these, you know, creatures and, and rightfully so, like, you know, like we just discussed, I mean, these are not like, there have been some ambiguous uh, aliens that we've run across where, you know, the destruction that they're wreaking is, you know, just sort of the nature of who they are. It's not, there's no malice. There's no whatever. This is not the case yeah. with the Centaurans. We are not no, no. in any way. I mean, and even like with the Daleks, after they sort of change and stuff, you know, like there, we get a couple instances of Daleks changing, and yeah. and and you can sort of see, you know, um, that there is some redeeming quality. We don't get yeah. any of that sense. Even you know, even after the Doctor is in his sort of noble way, I have to give them a choice. Mm. They're mocking him and laughing at him and saying you know yeah whatever you're 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 stalling go ahead blow us up it's an honor for us yeah. to die like right what what redeeming quality are you expecting to pull out of these centaurans you know right and and no no this is probably maybe along with the daleks 
this is like the most unambiguous military invasion. Like this yeah. is so far the other side of the spectrum from things like, you know, the Isolus or the Adipose. This is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the complete opposite end where their purpose is to invade by force. Invade, and they take know they're over, doing it, kill and, lots yeah. of people and yep. use the planet to breed more killers. Yep. Yeah. And it's, and it's, they're aware of what they're doing and it's purposeful and everything. Um, so, 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 you know, again, like you said, he protests a little too much because he he actually know is fighting or at least knows that that has to be an option at some point and mm-hmm. ultimately takes that option as the last one uh, to stop them. Because even he says the Centaurans never give up. They'll keep coming yeah. unless we destroy yeah. them all. They will just keep coming until they've achieved their goal. Yeah, that's in their nature. And so how do you fight? you know, an enemy with that sort of stick to you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a sports sort of thing that I, at least in the context <laughs> I've always heard, it. but um, yeah. you know, they do just sort of their, their tenacity, their, their, yeah. they just keep coming at. Um, well, and the fact that um, and so you, the humanity, humanity isn't capable of resisting them on their own because mm-hmm. he says like the, the combined nuclear, you know, might of the planet won't even dent their ship, but they've got missiles which will wipe out the planet. So he knows it's not a, it's not a fair fight. Right. It's one in which he has to take action the only way he can. Right. And the only way that he can bring himself to do it is to go up there himself. And at least, cause like, again, this is another large group of people mm. on his hands, you know? Right. So I kind of like that, he at least is willing to, if he has to make that choice again, he's at least willing to go down with the ship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that well, there's a and, real kind and, of nobility to that. And he sort of takes on the same um, values, I guess, uh, that the Santarans have of looking your enemy in the face. Like, yeah. like, cause you do get that. I mean, he's, he says, well, you know, I have to give them a choice and that's, that's all well and good, but you also get the sense that it's, it's it's yeah it's that acceptance of their code as you know you're not it, it's a cowardly thing to sort of send a bomb up on a timer <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean it's it's yeah. it's a much more noble and whatever and and i mean we can cr- criticize that position and and mm-hmm. we can maybe guess whether the doctor's right to accept their position but i think i think sort of in his defense of that is that he's meeting them as equals yeah. Or or attempting to anyway. And and we get again, which we've been pointing out since the first episode, since Rose, uh the sort of officiousness that he has when he's confronting this, right? The same as the nesting consciousness. He I don't yeah. does he mention the shadow proclamation specifically this time? I don't I, think so. I don't no. remember exactly the words that he uses, but you get that this is a diplomatic you know, this is the d- diplomacy before, you know, actionable. Yeah. He kind of uh, mentions their their high command, like that that they could be sort of seen as failing if they don't do if they don't win this invasion. So he's kind of alluding to the fact that if you go, I'm not going to say anything. No one's going to know what happened. You're not going to be, you know, your honor won't be, you know, impugned anything like that. Right, right. You know, he kind of tries to reason with them that why this is the better option, which, but I don't think he brings the, the shadow proclamation. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think so, but I couldn't exactly remember. Um, but there is that, 
there is that sort of more formal negotiation yeah, sort of mode yeah. that he that he takes on um when he goes up to meet them so yeah and it's interesting you talked about meeting them in their own kind of code because he has made several comments through these episodes about them failing short in their own Santaran mm-hmm. code like yeah, that well. you're acting you this isn't Santaran behavior you know you're not supposed to sneak in and clone people that you're you're you know soldiers with dignity you're supposed to face in in open battle and the fact that they're failing at their own you know sort of belief system so it's kind of you know to to kind of like you said go and at least deal with them honestly to say you know to not sneak in and and blow them up when they don't realize it but to actually say you know this is the choice that i'm giving you and you know you choose your own fate kind of thing um does make sense because he has talked so much about you know that kind of decent that code of decency between mm-hmm. warriors and everything and it works well with the kind of you know they keep they always allude to the the plug in the back of their neck which means that that's their only weak point so they always have to face their enemy like there's a kind of there's the the design of the alien kind of meshes with their worldview in a way mm-hmm. like they're kind of a symbiotic thing mm-hmm. yeah no so. very interesting um i sort of moving away from from his relationship to the Centaurans there um mm-hmm. and and even the more military aspect um igniting the entire atmosphere of earth Seems like sort of a drastic move. Um, <laughs> I, you know, seemed to work out okay. Yeah, it seemed to work out okay, but wow, that <laughs> seems like it could have, well, Gone literally really backfired. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like yeah. I, I was gonna say that term and didn't realize it was even sort of a pun until like I was in the middle of it. But yeah, uh, yeah like that. A little, it, little bit of okay. Fudge that seems like kind of dangerous <laughs> ploy, yeah. but hey, like you said, seems to have worked. So. Moving on. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, that, 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 those, uh, that bit of plot logic will collapse fairly easily. So I don't think we need to poke too many <laughs> holes in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I do like, so sort of in the same, well, we get the, we get the, we just talked about sort of his diplomacy with Centaurans. We also get the moments of non-diplomacy um, mm-hmm. and, and even like the, the side comments that Colonel Mace has, you know, about his yeah. lack of, um, you know, uh, diplomacy. But um, I yeah. do like there there was in part of that exchange, that was very interesting um, or, or right before it began, you know, Colonel Mace says, you're not authorized to speak on her, on behalf mm. of the earth and the doctor says well i've got the authority i earned it a long time ago and yeah. and that was sort of interesting because like i don't i mean the right. uh, the doctor has been speaking on the earth's behalf yeah well before colonel mace ever entered the sure. scene and well after you know just sort of subjectively because she's been yeah. you know to the future and the past and all of that um but also i wonder how much of that is is sort of an official reference to unit as well like was is that is that is that like referring back to some more official status that he has and considering that he never officially left unit like he still has that or 
is there, I guess, is there anything more to that? Cause I found that sort right. of intriguing that exchange there. Yeah, no, I kind of had the same thought and I couldn't really tell you. So, um, I had the same, the same sort of question this time when I watched it was how, how literally are we meant to take that? What does he mean by earning it? Does that mean that someone did appoint him the speaker? Like, is it that right. because Does he have unit, like a sort of official diplomatic because ambassador? Unit, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe unit designated him, you know, an intergalactic diplomat way mm -hmm. back when, or, or maybe, maybe he just means more generally, you know, that I've been traveling here and, meeting people and him, yeah. befriending the earth for so long that that i've earned it in a more sort of a less official sense yeah i'm not sure yeah. i but i did wonder that that like it because he's doing he's saying that in the context of unit you can't help but wonder if he's not alluding to that you know that his sort of position as a member of you know because they're sort of affiliated with the un so there is kind of an official mm -hmm. earth you know right right it's not the peoples just of England earth you know, or, you yeah, know yeah. or even like a handful of countries it's right. like the entire world um right. so yeah right. definitely definitely yeah but no i think that's a... kind of a that's kind of an open that's kind of an open question like what yeah. exactly he so, means by earning it yeah I, I, suppose, I don't know i suppose we could throw it out to our listeners if any of yeah. you know if there's a a more official, like in the, in the classic who, you know, does he have some sort of more official status, uh, in, in during the period where he's working with the unit, let us know. Cause we, we don't, um, see, we don't know everything. No. Um, we never <laughs> pretended to. There was bound to be something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I, I, well, so, okay. So we don't know that and that's cool. That's fine. Uh -huh. Um, Oh, we have to address the, uh, there, okay, so there's a couple of references we get here. The first uh -huh. one is is um, when he's saying goodbye. Uh -huh. This this I sort of get the sense of it. It's the flip side of the last episode where he thought Donna was saying goodbye, yeah. and 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 then realizes that he's not. And this yeah. this time he's saying to Donna and Martha, you know, goodbye. Thank yeah. you so much. You know, blah blah blah. And it's like the realization is, oh wait he's saying goodbye. Like, yeah, not just, it, it's not a funny sort of thing, right? It's not like, no, no. A, just a miscommunication sort of thing. This is like a real realization. So I, I guess that's just sort of the, you know, so, sort of a callback or, or whatever yeah. to the previous. Yeah. Episode. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially because he specifically thanks them. Right. Yeah. Right. And then Luke, go do something clever with your life. Yeah. I know. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I know no sentimentality, but he, Tells him exactly what he needs to hear, which is, you know, sure. good for the doctor. You know? Yeah. And well, and right. And you don't get, I mean, there's no sense that you feel like he's doing it for that reason, of course. No, you know, it's, no, no, I don't think so. You know, it, no, but what are you going to tell this, this, you know, intellectual genius who is emotionally stunted is, you know, you're very clever, but grow up and yeah. do something with it, you right. know? Don't just be right. I'm literally giving you life. a chance to do something here by yeah. taking this on. Um, yeah. And we'll t we can talk about Luke in a minute, but uh, or yeah. whenever. But uh, it might be ten minutes. Who knows? <laughs> um, but then, of course, the other reference is: Are you my mummy? Um, <laughs> kind of, kind of a contender for the best callback in yeah. the history of callbacks. I, I, think. I think that was just hilarious. I mean, you almost feel like. 
I'm not. I won't go so far as to say that they filled the entire world with gas just so they could <laughs> just for that you know joke. make that that sort of prop gag. But I wouldn't put it past them. You and, almost feel that and, way, and yeah. it works anyway. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, it's... I feel like I feel like they could e- it could easily have been. Well, we have a story which involves gas. We have to have gas gas masks in it just so we can have that joke. Right. Well, and <laughs> certainly and I would believe that. Like, how long are they walking around a world full of gas? You know, before they actually put on gas masks, and then like thirty seconds later the big ship comes and blows all the gas away and they just tear yeah. them all and off they take again. Them off. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's so, I mean, it, yeah, I won't say contrived cause I think it's pretty funny and I think it works within the context of, of what's going it's worth on, it. but it was, it's it was pretty fine. I definitely yeah. busted out laughing when I yeah. heard that. So yeah. good, good call. Well, and the fact that, uh, he, he's the only one that gets the joke. Right, like, right. He's a, there's nobody around yes. who knows what he's referencing. Yeah. yeah, we'll get some, you know, and that's funny. That's another little interesting parallel with the Buffy episode we'll be talking about later, too, where, you know, lots of puns with, with sort of nobody else getting yeah, them. Yeah, you're the um, only one or, that's Or laughing. at least yeah. acknowledging them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, the uh, So, yeah, so the doctor... Um, no, I think I think definitely though the the whole the sort of the dualistic the pull between the sort of the, the need for the military defenses but the dislike of mm-hmm. having them and the and the ease with which those defenses can become offensive um yeah. in sort of both sense of that term uh or multiple senses of that term uh you know to you know, to be able to turn it around and, and be an assaulter instead of the one who's assaulted. And, and yeah. So I think, I think that's a very interesting aspect. Um, and, and Mm -hmm. I don't know, seems like maybe we'll get more along that theme because we also, you know, have already seen this season, this sort of the oppression and, and that of the youd and, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just sort of generally speaking that, um, and um and and um the the climax of the Pompeii episode too with with him having to sort of you know that kind of take matters I mean the circumstances are obviously hugely different but right it has that kind of same well the idea that he's the, the cause of, of this yeah. destruction yeah you know, again yeah. it's it's yeah. you know it's all centered around his decision yeah you know that if he doesn't do it the whole world is gonna you know blow up or get taken over or whatever like yeah. you know again you know we see this sort of repeated theme of mm-hmm. y- you know these of needing to take these sort of drastic steps in order and these kind of these kind of no-win situations yeah you know? it's like it's like utilitarianism at their at its worst you know what i mean yeah. like the, yeah. the, the just the idea of what else can you do you have to make these choices that ultimately do end up killing lots of people mm-hmm. but it's better than everyone dying right um and how do you how do you how do you do that how do you make that assessment so that said anything else for the doctor sort of i mean we'll talk about other characters and i'm sure we'll talk about how they relate to the doctor but anything sort of yeah no let's 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 move on uh let's are we talking about donna next yeah let's talk about donna because i okay. i think um 
Well, and and I don't. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of what she does. Um, you know, I think so. So okay. So again, you know, sort of rewinding back to the beginning of the episode. I mean, okay, they get Wolf out and and whatever. But then, um, I like the scene where she's sort of there and and she's like, no, I'm going to go with the doctor again. And Wolf mm, sort of yeah. is encouraging her to go along. Yeah. And, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, we get that moment of good old practical Donna when the doctor yeah. gives her the key yeah. and he's like, Oh no, this is a big moment. You know, again, we get this like, you know, this is really, you know, and it, and it was a big moment when it was Rose and when it was yeah. Martha even, you know, Yeah. but now Donna's just like, yeah, can we not do this when like I'm being poisoned <laughs> to death? You, yeah. you know, could we find a better time? Yeah. Um, you know, to do this. So <laughs> that's pretty hilarious. Yeah. No, um, I had that too. That like the the throwaway nature of it is an interesting because Rose. I was thinking about the last two times we saw that. Like with Rose, it was really he gives her the key to kind of prove that he's not gonna fly away while she's visiting home. So it's kind of a symbolic gesture. Mm-hmm. Like this is I'm giving you this to show you that I'm you know, here to stay. I'm not just going to abandon you. And with Martha, it was that huge emotional culmination after she saved his life. Mm-hmm. She's so supportive, all these, she's super capable, all these things. And it was like a reward that she earned, you know, like, you mm-hmm. know, her frequent flyers privilege or whatever. Right, right, right. But with Donna, with Donna, it is throwaway. And I think it was David Tennant in the commentary says like, the doctor kind of acts like, it kind of seems like he just forgot that he hadn't given it to her already. Like, like, oh, uh, oh, you need a key. That's right. I like suddenly it never occurred to me that you don't have one. So mm-hmm. it kind of proves how um, casual that part of the relationship is. That it wasn't a big emotional thing. It was. I mean, he has to kind of remind himself. Oh yeah, this is an important moment. And then she's just like, like you said, you know. Okay, we can get sentimental about it later now's not the time right. so it is kind of interesting contrast um yeah definitely uh so anyway the uh that sort of leads her of course to getting abducted and um mm-hmm. or well i mean like the tardis getting abducted i guess yes. and and yeah. she um goes up into you know into the uh Centauran spaceship or whatever and, and also I like the um I like the Latin play on words, the the Donna Novus Patrum. Um <laughs> yeah. which means give us peace, which I like that uh I mean he he says Donna, Donna would be the better yeah, pronunciation. Yeah. But um but I mean it works because that's obviously her name. So it's he's speaking to her, but it's also it's also like reiterating his his uh you know sort of philosophy of you know mm-hmm. the play on the words and 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 reiterating that at the same time is kind of neat um yeah but the the whole i'm i don't know well maybe surprise isn't the right word but um her whole sort of like helplessness or or not helplessness but like not knowing what to do, like the indecision that she mm-hmm. has while she's there and, and sort of waiting for the doctor. I, you know, yeah. and, and she even says, she calls Wilf and is like, you know, I, I 
he wants me to do something, but I can't figure it out. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, yeah. I found that sort of interesting because we haven't really seen Donna sort of perplexed and not knowing what to do yeah. at this point. Like even when she's like sad or doesn't completely understand the situation, she still mm-hmm. seems to have good instincts. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and, but yeah. this is sort of the first time where we see her instincts to be like, I, I don't know there. I don't have yeah. any real guidance in this situation. Yeah. So. And even after he connects with her, he has to kind of psych her up mm-hmm. and, and talk her into it. And I think, I think part of it, part of the key is, um, and maybe this is a difference between Donna and Rose and Martha is, um, you know, Catherine Tate in one of the interviews or commentary or, or whatever was kind of saying the same thing. Like we're not used to seeing Donna like that. Cause she, in her words, she said she's usually cocky and mouthy and ballsy. So you don't really see her as like the one not quite sure. But I think, I I think Donna has a a strong sense of opinion and self and identity, but she's not necessarily physically brave. Mm. So this is the first time she's really been on her own. You know, like there's times she's been separated from the doctor, but she's never really. You you had more with Martha the the instinct to kind of go off on her own and like and you know kind of forge her own sort of path donna doesn't seem to do that quite so much and i feel like this is the first time she's been by herself Mm. having to sort of get the mallet and go out and do something you know i mean she's always willing to get involved you know as you know the the moral compass or the one or convincing the doctor to do the right thing you know it's not like she hasn't made contributions but it seems like the first time she's been kind of where she's been on her own and had to sort of, you know, put herself in a dangerous position. And, you know, whereas you could see even like Martha or Rose doing a little bit, that coming a little more naturally to them, you know, to kind of sneak out of the ship and go figure out what switches to turn on. That that doesn't come naturally to Donna. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that I kind of like that we're used to seeing her as very strong-willed. But in this situation, which is not her forte, the doctor has to encourage her and to convince her that she can do it and kind of talk her through it. And he has to push her a little bit, you know? Right. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess that's interesting because the impression we got when, you know, they met up again, you know, the second time around here, was that she had been going off and doing sort of, all these things on her own, having these little adventures looking for the doctor. Yeah, Um, no, that's true. So, so I guess that's maybe where it sort of surprised me a little bit. Um, But, but I, I see what you're saying. I mean, this is literally alien to her still, you know, like she's not um, at that point where she's sort of comfortable, (laughs) Uh, even to the point of (laughs) like when she sees the Centauran, you know, hand, device that she has to put up and and she's like you need three fingers and the doctor says you have three <laughs> fingers oh yeah <laughs> like like oh yeah. of course right you know she's yeah. thinking it like her mind is in such a place it seems that yeah. Yeah. that everything is so you know foreign and alien to her that that she just yeah. can't sort of wrap her head around it all um and and she really has no and and not that we necessarily expect her to because i mean obviously other companions that have not really known 
what the doctor was doing at any particular time necessarily, but, but like she just has no clue of what's expected of her or what the doctor is trying to get her to do. Like you said, he has to really literally sort of walk her through each of these steps. So, um, yeah, sort of an interesting little. Yeah. And even, and I mean, like you said, you wouldn't expect her to know, of course she's going to need his help with things like what, what switches to turn and stuff. But but it seems that she takes more coaxing with the things like, you know, to to get her to, you know, yeah. if he, he can't just say, you know, there's a there's a vent on the back of his neck, hit it. He has to kind of talk her like you can do it. Right, Stop right. talking like you can't do it. Just, right. You know, and I'm sorry for asking, but you're going to have to do it anyway. Like yeah. he has to kind of psych her up a little bit in yeah. a way that I don't think we've kind of seen that before. Um. But you gotta love the excitement she has when she does it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back of the neck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, yeah. You know, she's very she's very proud of herself once she yeah. does it. Um and then sort of I guess the, the other sort of thing um that struck me is when she struck the doctor um at the end there. Yeah. And so you get you get Martha yeah. who just sort of, you know, falls down and hugs him and you know yeah. Thank you, you're back. And she yeah. is just angry. But we then, of course, whack him, yeah, like she good, whacks him. Good slap across the arm. And yeah. then, uh, and then she also, you know, sort of, yeah, not quite, is, not quite as embraceive as uh, yeah. Martha is. But, but yes, this is how Im- Donna expresses affection. It, did <laughs> yeah. I just say embraceive? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> anyway, um, I know what you mean. Yeah. The the <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> Yeah, no, that says, I like that kind of nonverbal section where he's kind of in shock and not really sure what to say. And then you get Martha very sweet and comforting and just relieved that he's okay. And Donna expressing her fear through violence. Like, it just says a lot about them in a, in, in a nice little wordless, mm-hmm. you know. And you kind of get the sense that well, Martha is saying it one way, Donna's saying it another. They're both kind of saying the same thing, you know? <laughs> like, right, right. we're glad you're okay, and they just express themselves differently. Right, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, maybe, well, and maybe any anything else for Donna um, that you, you want to point out? Um, I guess I just want to point out um, that... Uh, Again, kind of consistent with what we saw before, that she and Martha get along pretty quickly, that she kind of invites Martha at the end, you know, yeah. which there's no sort of, between the two of them, there doesn't seem to be any rivalry, that she's kind of like, you know, well, you can, are you coming with us? We have plenty of space, yeah. you know, so again, her kind of um, mature, welcoming sort of personality, you know, and doesn't doesn't expect that Martha is going to, leave even though that's kind of what martha wants to do donna seems at least to be you know happy to have her come along so yeah no that's true and and we did talk a little bit i think last time about sort of their um you know uh becoming something of uh, having a connection at least yeah Uh, yeah so yeah pretty cool um well, on to Martha, or actually, we should start with Martha's clone. Well, do we have anything else to say about Wilf and Sylvia really quick before we switch? Oh, I mean, we probably um, said most of what we had, but... 
No, good, double check. good call though, because I think I mean just with Wilf, I mean, I mean they're two opposite. We already sort of mentioned, you know, Sylvia. She does have that practical side, yeah. and it's it's the you know, uh, it's that practical side which you know one makes her sort of a good caretaker or caregiver or whatever. Um, interesting that those sort of mean the same thing. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> totally just went off on a weird language. Yeah. Tangent English there. is a funny language. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> no, but the idea of like, you know, she is always sort of constantly thinking about like, okay, how can, you know, we unpack the groceries or, you know, knock yeah. out the windshield so that I can save my father or, yeah, you know, yeah. or whatever. Like, like there, you know, there is that very practical side, but it's also that side, which seems to be the critical one for Donna. Right. Cause it's, it's the, um, you know, Donna, she, there's people working on it, mom. They're, they're going to fix it. I promise. And so he's like, yeah. Oh, like you would know, like you're so clever. Like, it's like, well, yeah. you know, on the one hand, yeah. Like, yeah. How would Donna know any of that? So like, like it's easy to sort of dismiss Sylvia as as being you know yeah uh, but there's no reason to th- think that Donna would have any particular special knowledge there yeah. in that case um, even having met the doctor you know and we you mentioned yes we get another mother who doesn't like the doctor <laughs> you know <laughs> well um, and, and um you 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 saying that makes me think you know we were just talking about Donna slapping the doctor and that that's kind of her you know, that the the fear and, you know, her uh, affection for the doctor come out in this kind of burst of, you know, wanting to slap him. Mm-hmm. You know, Sylvia's kind of like that, too, because, you know, she says, oh, you know, like, you're so clever. And Donna calls her on it, like, really? Like, really? What are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> and then she just yeah. says, you know, I'm sorry. I wish you were here and apologize. Right. And, and it's you kind of get the sense that, her fear in that situation is coming out as this kind of mean critical thing, you know, Mm -hmm. that that might be a more severe version of the same kind of thing with Donna that, you know, it it might come out of, it might come out as, you know, something kind of not exactly nice, Mm -hmm. but that might be the, how she reacts in a, in a stressful situation and everything. So snide and caustic and and whatever, but it's, it's like you said, it's sort of, there's an underpinning of concern there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, so that would be sort of the, the thing I would have to comment on Sylvia and then Wilf, you know, just his continued support of Donna going after what she wants, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, if you want to go be with the doctor, go be with the doctor. You know, yeah. it it doesn't, um, whatever. But if the doctor doesn't do what he says he's going to do, he's going to have to deal with me. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. which is interesting because that's, you know, that's the same sort of Donna and Sylvia, you know, yeah. aspect of it too. So like it, but no, there's, there's definitely like he, he sort of gets it. He's like, you need to go do this. So go do this. And yeah. he's, seems like a wonderful man and you know if he's not taking care of you right just let me know and and yeah. we'll figure things out but um yeah and the and the note at the end of you go see the stars and bring a bit of them back for your yeah, old gramps yeah. that it do you know maybe not so far as to say do what i always wanted to do because how would he have ever known that this was an option but like there's a sense of 
and I don't mean this in a kind of nasty way, but like a vicarious, in a healthy kind of vicarious living. Yeah. That he's, he's vicariously enjoying what mm-hmm. Donna's getting to experience, and he's excited for her. And yeah. and he can see the appeal of that. Yeah. So. No, and, and you're right. And there, I mean, there's definitely, obviously there, I mean, he's a grandparent, but there's that, yeah, that sort of parental vicariousness where you do want to see your kids experience good things and the things that they want to pursue and, and being able to sort of, yeah, recapture your own childhood. And, and like you said, like, I mean, he, he would never have necessarily had the, uh, uh, you know, ability to do that, but, you know, just thinking about his age, I mean, he must've been of an age where when, when either he was a teenager or a young man, you were getting sort of the golden age of the science fiction stories and right, and right. and getting the promise of flying cars and spaceships and visiting other planets and meeting other aliens and stuff. So this this just sort of seems like yeah, like it's the realization of of that thing that might have happened or or been um promised to him not promised in any solid term but you always sort of hear you know you sort of hear like those where's my flying car you know when when you hear like the the i I guess he's probably a little older than than like the um you know like the the baby boom generation but you know maybe you, you just sort of hear those things like you know when i was a kid i heard you know people saying by the year 2000 we would you know, yeah. all have these whatever incredible gadgets and stuff. And we do, we do have them. It's just, there's no flying cars, yeah. uh, you know, but not quite what it, we thought, it, right. It's yeah, not yeah. in the way that, that we thought, but, um, so yeah, so I don't know. That's sort of maybe the sense I get from Wilf is that, that he, he does get it and he knows his time has passed and he's never going to do that, but maybe just maybe he'll be able to at least hear the stories and yeah, get, a piece of a moon rock or something, you know, like, yeah. you know, just something that, that, uh, yeah. that'll help him out of it. Um, anyway, so. Yeah. But, but you also get the sense that that's not why he's saying it like that. That's sort of an, it would be nice if that happens, but mm-hmm. he really does legitimately want Donna to be the one to experience yes. those things. It's yeah. not, yeah. it's not like, go get me a moon rock. It's no, it's no. go have fun experience. And if you happen to think of it, maybe bring yeah. me back a souvenir. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it's totally generous. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. so yeah. So I like Wolf. I, I think yeah. he's good. I, you know, I mean, yeah. I've been harsh on, on mothers who don't like the doctor. I mean, I think you're right. I think at least with Sylvia, we can see the distinct connection between her and Donna and their personalities and, and that there is a concern underneath it. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean she's yeah. completely likable, but <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I think there's enough nuance to Sylvia where you don't just write her off as, as just a nag, yeah. you know, that well, and, there's enough personality there, you know, and, and we've had enough experience with the other mothers that we know we shouldn't do that anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so we'll, we'll see, I guess from there. But anyway, on to okay. Martha, Martha and her clone. Um, and we'll tackle them in reverse order there. Because we don't see Martha until like halfway through the episode. Or yeah. however long it is. Um, but we do see the clone um, right away. And, and so there's 
there's the stuff, okay, like the sort of the plot devices where she has to break in to the mainframe and download what you know, mm-hmm. whatever hoopty gadget she gets and app or whatever that lets her apparently control all the nuclear weapons in the entire world. Why there's a there's an app for that. Yeah, why unit would have an app that's so easily downloadable, you know, to do that and not yeah. be able to figure out that that's what's interfering with their system. Seems a little strange, but okay. Like a like a slight security I mean, issue, but we already yeah. know the password that gets into all of like the world's yeah. military computers anyway, right? Right, right, we do. Um so, you know, why not? Anyway. Yeah. Um yeah, like I guess I guess the you know, the the biggest thing I guess we can sort of say about the clone is that the doctor pretty much figures her out right away. Or at least we get yeah. the sense that he's figuring her yeah. out right yeah. away. Um she's not at all concerned about her family. He says she hasn't called them or anything. And, and that's, that's like, the big giveaway. Yeah, right? that's like a huge you know giveaway. if you know if there's one thing that you know about Martha is that she's on the phone with her family. So. All the time. Yeah, no, you would have expected her to yeah. like the second that gas started to come out of the cars yeah. to have checked and seen if everyone in her family was okay and yeah. given them instructions about how to avoid it and what to do and all of this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously that's a huge tell. And the, and, and the, it seems like the doctor recognizes it at that point. I didn't, I didn't notice that. I think the first time I watched it, but I think the second time through, I definitely saw that the doctor is, is sort of, putting the pieces yeah. together at that point. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, later he says, Oh, I knew from, you know, whatever point, but you know, okay, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but you do see in his, yeah, no, he says things about like, Oh, you know, you smell and the hair follicles and stuff. But I think the bigger giveaway is that this kind of cold Martha, yeah, for all that he's worried that he's turned Martha into a soldier, the, the, the cold clone militaristic Martha is clearly not, not right what one. real Martha is yeah. like. And that's the giveaway, right. you know? Well, and, and who, I mean, who knows? Maybe he did have that smell or whatever. And maybe the question was just one of those just double checking kind of things, you know, like, yeah. um, whatever. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, so he puts all that together. Um, and then like the whole, like going into like another room to call Donna and not, and lying about where Donna is. Um, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you get the sense that, that he definitely knows by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, but of course, sort of the, the big scene, like, you know, and she gets, you know, she stops the nuclear, whatever, blah, blah, blah. She activates yeah. the two, uh, sort of, um, brainwashed, unit mm-hmm. soldiers and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's, there's some stuff there, but um, the big thing of course is, is when Martha does wake up mm-hmm. and it, her waking up is what uh, debilitates. And then ultimately, I guess, kills the clone herself. Yeah. Cause there's sort of like a, a, a reverse symbiotic sort of relationship there. Like I'm not entirely right. sure how that works, but um, yeah. we get the insight the real insight here is the uh, what she says to Martha, mm-hmm. um, cause, and and we get the we get the you know once again there's the connection she has all of Martha's memories and everything, um, but she says in your mind you've got so many plans. She says to Martha, "There's so much that you want to do," um, and Martha says, "And I will never do tomorrow what you can do today." Mom always says, "Blah blah blah," because you never know how long you've got. 
Martha Jones all that life. And I don't know, just very, very interesting sort of things because I mean, you're getting the sense that there's more to Martha's story here, but I totally, the first time through, I mean, that didn't say to me, Oh, Martha's going to be in the TARDIS again, Mm -hmm. you know, which we'll get to in a moment, I guess. But like, but like definitely there's a sense that like, yeah, this is not like, even though Martha has left as a companion, this clearly isn't the end of her story, which is different from a sense. And, and just the fact that they brought Martha back, I guess, is even different, clearly, than with Rose. Because you do get that sense of finality yeah. with Rose. I mean, yeah. she's in a different dimension. We're told you can't ever, you know, see her again and blah, blah, blah. And I, I do realize maybe in the future that will be addressed. But... Well, we got this, that little glimpse of her in Partners of Crime. So Right, right. We did know. get that little but, glimpse. But I and, think the point still stands. And... Yeah. and, and but with her leaving and whatever. Like, yeah, we don't know what that really means. Like, yeah, whatever. So, so we do get this sense of like, there's still a story there with Martha, even if we don't know it, even if, yeah. even if it ends up being, you know, a sideline story that she does whatever. And, and we, you know, we did talk about seeing her in Torchwood and whatever. So we know like she's been about and doing things and, and, you know, sort of experiencing her life and whatever. So, I don't know. I just thought that was really a nice little aspect of the clone sort of being surprised because the clone is dying at this point. So all that life is in contrast to her own last breaths um, that she's taking um, and sort of being impressed by that. It was also sort of uh, interesting, I think, to, to just sort of think about the clone had all the memories that Martha had and yet Mm -hmm. acted completely opposite from her. So like, where does that fit in? I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things like what's, what's the essential you like is, is, is it your memories and your experiences because the clone had all of those. So what, what made her, you know, what did the Centaurans, I guess, add to her or take away from her? Or Mm -hmm. I don't know both of those things maybe you know right. that that sort of made hey i i just thought of the doctor saying about the ood you know take away your your memory and your emotion and right. you wouldn't be you anymore so i right. think it's the same but, that same but martha's theme clone has under the there. memories and yeah. the emotions apparently right so it seems to kind of contradict that yeah i and i don't know i mean you know i mean they're masters of genetics apparently so you know who knows what else may or may not have been done yeah. um you know, to, to sort of, I mean, they brainwashed the other two unit soldiers without cloning them. So, you know, I guess maybe if you're starting from the ground up, you can do even more, Yeah. but I don't know. I just thought I, I, that was an interesting aspect. I thought, so I, I don't really know. Yeah, No, I think, I think those, that's a kind of running theme is how much does your, how much is your sense of identity defined by your memory and your experience? Mm-hmm. I think that's a kind of question which is being raised, you know, a couple different times this season. Yeah. So, um, oh man, we we need to like sort of hightail it we need with to, these we last need to book it. Okay. Um, few few characters here. Um, I so, want to I want to mention uh, really quick with Martha the line mm-hmm. about uh, 
I feel like a kid in my dad's clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're calling him dad, then you're definitely getting him. Right, right. Another <laughs> sort of laugh. hint, I guess, maybe to yeah. what's coming. Although, again, like I didn't, I didn't pick up on that the first time through. Like I didn't take that to mean, oh, she's going to be in the TARDIS again at the end, you know, of the episode. Yeah. So, um, yeah, nice little little call through there. But yeah, no, I think, yeah. and I think we sort of could surmise that yeah, there's still feelings or whatever you know there for martha even though she is getting married and even though you know um she has sort of in a way moved on i mean she's working with unit and her first like big project is to call the doctor (laughs) you know what i mean like operation (laughs) blue sky you know like whatever it was um Mm -hmm. so yeah so like i think we could could sort of pick up on that already but it's yeah, Donna definitely notices and calls her out mm-hmm. on it. And there's no real answer or response to it. It's just sort of left hanging. Um, but, uh, you know, we get the we get the moment of uh, right before we find out that the TARDIS is leaving, whatever. She's talking to Donna and she says, I have missed all this, but, you know, I'm good here, back at home. And I'm better for having been away. Besides, mm. someone needs me. Never mind the universe. I've got a great big world of my own now. Mm. And then the TARDIS and door the slams like, closed yeah. and, then, and begins shaking. And the doctor's like, I'm not doing it. It's we're leaving. We're flying off. And Yeah. Uh, okay. Well. Yeah. So Surprise, surprise cliffhanger. Yeah, definitely a surprise cliffhanger. So I don't, yeah, I don't know what to make of that because, like, I mean, it seems like she's in earnest. You know, it doesn't seem like she's sort of lying either to herself or to Donna. Uh, You know, she seems to be legitimately feels that she was better for having been away, but knows what she wants now and is is Mm -hmm. willing to stay there. So that's an interesting thing, because I don't I don't think we've really. I guess other than with Donna herself, when we first saw her in The Runaway Bride. Yeah. Um we haven't really seen anyone that I can think of who has been on the TARDIS without wanting to be. Am I yeah. right in saying that? Like, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, no, I'm trying to think. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, we've gotten the doctor trying to leave people behind. Uh, yeah. Most particularly with Jack, uh, you yeah. know, who clings on to it yeah. and sends him yeah. flying <laughs> to the end of time. Um, yeah. But I don't, yeah, I don't think other than Donna, and that was a weird sort of, you know, physics thing that happened. So it wasn't even like right, like, and we don't know what's going on here. So maybe it's another one of those sorts of things. But I, anyway, I, I don't know what to make of all that. But mm. just to say that, like, it does seem like Martha's being legitimately sincere uh, in that moment of saying that she really doesn't have a desire to leave, and then is forced to leave with the doctor. yeah. And I think. Um... I think too, what kind of cements that is her um, her anger when she realizes they're taking off. That she like screams at him, "You take me home right now!" Mm-hmm. Like you know she's serious. Like you know she was being very nice about it. Like oh okay, this was good. I missed it, but you know, I you know it was a good experience. I'm better for it. But really, I'm ready to go home now. Mm-hmm. And she's very calm and nice about it. Yeah. And then. She's forced to take off, and you realize how strongly she wants to go mm-hmm. home. That she's 
demanding that he take her back. Right. So I think it kind of shows her sincerity in that moment that, no, she really was ready to walk out the door and is pretty pissed off that yeah. she didn't get to. Yeah. So. so I'll be interested to see where that goes. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Ross. Can we do, can we do Radigan in 20 seconds? Oh, well, I was just going to, I was going to say Ross. He's not Greyhound 40. His name is Ross. Let's get oh, it yes. right. Um, okay. So Radigan. <sighs> you know, totally, uh, alienates everyone he knows. Um, I like that everyone's sort of horrified by his plan and idea. Yeah. Um, he was right to have hidden it because he never would have gotten them to do anything otherwise. <laughs> no. um, I like that he doesn't shoot anyone. Like, I'm glad he sort of whisses out at the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and does come around to actually realizing how wrong he was. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about his suicide blowing up the, the Centaurans. I guess it sort of needed to be done because, like the doctor said, the Centaurans will just keep coming and coming if if they don't get blown up, but it seems like a cleverer thing would have been to be the coward, which the doctor has said, Oh yes, every time I will be the coward, Mm -hmm. you know? So I would have been okay if Radigan had gone up, sort of jiggered the, the bomb to explode after he teleports himself back out of there. That would have been okay with me. Um, Yeah. But he doesn't, he, Sort of. No, I mean, I think, again, whether delivered or not, and the, the doctor might feel, you know, not like this, but, you know, I think you get him, I'm thinking again of him, of Mar- of Donna's question about, is that what you did to her, turn her into a soldier? Mm. And I think, yeah, you know, I didn't really inten- think that, intentionally yeah. or not, he kind of turns around again into, he kind of shows him, you know, not intentionally like, okay, this is how you know, this is the right thing to do in in the sense of, if, like you said, the doctor's not being manipulative. He's not trying to get Luke to take his place, but he sets an example, which Luke follows, you know, yeah. and follows and doesn't take the, the cowardly, in quotes, cowardly way of, you know, of jiggering the thing and then leaving, that he totally takes him at his word mm-hmm. and goes up there and takes them down and himself with it. So, you know, whether that was the doctor's intent, you know, you kind of have yeah. to see how he made an impact on right, right. Luke His in that situation. Words clearly had an effect and yeah. maybe not the best one that they could have. Um, right. I mean, certainly a, a, a good effect in helping him come around to see sort of the error of his ways, but maybe taking them a little too far, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Which seems to be Radigan style. Yes. Taking things too far. Well, <laughs> taking things too far would kind of be his uh, way of doing things. So. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, good episode. I'm, I I was not expecting another cliffhanger, so I'm anxious to finish our discussion and go watch that. But we before that, we yeah. have to talk about Buffy. Um, yeah. And I believe you want to start talking about Buffy by talking about Doctor Who. I do. <laughs> I do. Because um, uh, after we, um, you were kind of giving me my, my weekly teasers of what I could look forward to next week. Mm-hmm. And um, in the process of doing that, I think you were reading the Wikipedia page for the Zip Hour or whatever mm-hmm. and and came across a quote um, about 
I don't know if the quote was from Russell Davies or whether it just alluded to the fact that, which I mentioned way back when, that we know Russell's on book as a Buffy fan, you know, and probably a Whedon fan in general, I would imagine. Sure. Um, And here we get a very specific example because it turns out that he's cited the Zeppo as an influence on Love and Monsters and I guess by extension, the whole Dr. Light concept, you know, which Love and Monsters really sort of introduced. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really interesting. Um, We're going to get more into detail later about the sort of subplot of what Buffy and the rest of the Scoobies are doing. So I don't want to get too much into it, but the part of, I mean, clearly we can see this as kind of Buffy will light in the way Mm -hmm. that, that, Love and Monsters is Dr. Light, that Xander's really the lead, and Buffy and the others are sort of secondary in the way that they're not normally. But even more specifically than that, the part of Love and Monsters that seemed to really be taken from this was the section where they're doing their whole Scooby-Doo running between the hallways thing with um, right. with an alien that we... And what, what reminds me of it so strongly is the fact that we're getting glimpses of an untold story, that there's just hints of an adventure that we never really get to learn about. So in that, just so we, just like we have an alien that we don't know and um, they're doing something with, they have to throw buckets of goo on it, but it has to be the right color and you never quite find out why and all this stuff. And same thing in Blink, you know, we had the Doctor and Martha fighting four things in a lizard with the bow and arrows, something. Like, you get this untold story mm-hmm. kind of going on in the background. Right. Same thing with um, with this episode, with what seems to be the main story at the beginning, which is this whole apocalypse cult that's going to try to open the hellmouth, turns out to be, you know, may, potentially, as Buffy says, the most important thing that they've ever done, but we don't get to, we're not privy to it, you know, that it's happening concurrently and we get little hints of it, but we don't ever actually find out what's going on. Um, so that's the part of it that I thought really sort of cemented it for me. Um, so it was cool. It was really cool to see, you know, the Buffy version of a Dr. Light, where I guess Dr. Light is a version of the Zeppo, if you really want to take it that way. Yeah. So, yeah. No, definitely. I and I think you can easily see the comparisons like like you just sort of described. Um I would throw out there just sort of another uh, another example that maybe and and I don't know, I haven't seen um like Joss or or the writer Dan Weber or anyone sort of make this connection, but um Rhonda V. Wilcox, who we've we've talked about before um in her book Why Buffy Matters, which I've cited before, um spends a chapter on on the Zeppo and mm-hmm. um talking about Xander and and sort of the humor of the episode and all of that um but in that she she makes two sort of observations um one is that she calls this a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern view yeah. of Buffy yeah. uh-huh. um and I thought that that was just sort of a perfect That's sort of spot on. Yeah. uh description there um and 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 I think you can apply that probably to the Doctor Light episodes yeah. as well. Um, yeah. She also calls it, um, and I, and we can get into this and and maybe even bring in uh, again, you know, the idea of the 
triptych, the soul triptych, um, but she calls it a carnival of the physical and, and just um, <laughs> that this is, that this is, this is Xander. I mean, this is his yeah. life, um, you know, especially once you cut off the rest of the group, yeah. you know, it, it just becomes this, you know, sort of slapstick in a way, yeah. uh, you know, rumpus yes. <laughs> you know for yeah. lack of a better word um yeah. and 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 you get this uh yeah again the carnival of the physical so i i, I thought those that's were both a, pretty apt descriptions that's um, great yeah the uh so i want before we kind of get into the story even more um i wanted to mention a few things so one i i just mentioned the writer um yeah dan weber who uh, we talked about previously, he wrote Lover's Walk. Uh, and these are the only two episodes he writes for Buffy. Um, he's he's written for other stuff. He's written for like Futurama and The Simpsons and some other shows mm-hmm. and stuff. So, I mean, it's not like he's hasn't, hasn't gone on to do anything else. So he, he certainly has been out there and, and doing stuff. Um, but as far as Buffy goes, uh, which kind of stinks because they're both really good episodes. They're quite good, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, that... Oh, well, you know, it's a shame Yeah, not, not to say that there aren't other episodes written by other people that are certainly good as well. But it just just sort of stinks because, you know, you kind of wish what else could he have done? With some no, he stuff. really he really gets the show and the characters, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. This episode also, like the other episode he wrote, was nominated for an Emmy Award, um, not for the writing. Unfortunately, uh, this was no uh, nominated for Outstanding Makeup. Uh, and certainly you can see between the boys, the zombie, you know, whatever, um, yeah. the, the, the cult of G and I, I know, like them. I like them. Those kind of blue, dark elven, elf looking. Yeah. Kind of things, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Pointy ears. And yeah, they were cool. Um, and just general, yeah, just, just general, you know, uh, some other stuff going on there. So, um, you can definitely see the, so, um, this was not the only, um, Last season, we had an episode that was uh, nominated for outstanding makeup as well. It was it was the it was actually surprise and innocence together, um, okay. which had the judge and and the we judge, sort of right. uh, figured that that was probably you know what yeah. got them nominated. But um, anyway, this it was nominated, did not win. Uh, it actually lost to an X Files episode, Two Fathers, One Son, which um, I don't remember particularly what that episode's about. I, Perhaps should have looked it up, but I don't know that it matters that much. Mm. Um, just unfortunately, Buffy lost. So, but it got the nomination. So good, good stuff. Um, and that I think is all I had for for sort of production notes. So okay. Um, where yeah, would you I had, like? I had one or two things. Um, oh, okay. I wanted to say uh, I for some reason we were talking about the sound before, and I oh, really yeah. enjoyed the music in this episode for some reason. Yes. The, the little string section, which sort of just hops along throughout mm-hmm. the episode. It, it's just really, there was something kind of enjoyable, but slightly off about it, which just <laughs> fit the tone of the episode. Right. I really liked that. Um, well, so. and, 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 I, and you get that interleaved with the more usual music that we get in, in grandiose other... dramatic yeah you know, right yeah and and i mean we'll talk about sort of like all the different scenes that we get but you you know just focusing on the music you get yeah the crescendoing when buffy and angel especially yeah. like are together you get yeah um you know their music and and you get like um you know the the sort of the fight music when you know like faith is 
doing whatever or like even when i think yeah. xander and willow are talking like when she's coming out of um the magic shop there and and you sort of get like a you know you know it's a it's a more muted just kind of like background music or whatever yeah but then yeah like in between all of that you get like the more the 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 strings and and you know like in the chase scenes where you get like yeah. the pizzicato you know kind yeah. of feel yeah. so yeah definitely uh definitely some fun stuff going on there with the music um yeah. And 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 self parodying in um, uh, a it bit is too, and, quite, and we'll, we'll quite. yeah again referencing no, yeah, sort of we'll, the other scenes. Um, we'll talk about that, but I think that's definitely what it's getting at. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Well, by way of introduction into Xander, I do want to say a note or two about what the title refers to because oh, okay, uh, there may be listeners out there who. Uh, don't know what the Zeppo means, you know, and maybe Isn't you can look it up, lighter? but in case you haven't. Like the Zeppo lighter? Sorry? The Zeppo lighter? Like, you know, the... <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway. right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I read the title before I watched the episode and didn't necessarily know what the Zeppo meant, but as soon as I heard, I think it was you say Zeppo Marks, instantly it was like, oh, that makes perfect sense for Xander. Um, because Zeppo is... What I think what I called the other Marx brother. He's the 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 super the superfluous one. He's the least interesting. You know that Groucho. You know you get witty one-liners from Groucho. You get funny accents mm-hmm. and body humor from Chico. You get broad physical comedy from Harpo. And Zeppo's kind of the straight man, and he's kind of like the supposed to be the kind of good-looking one he's the one that has whatever romantic subplot there is but he's not even really that good-looking <laughs> and he's he's the straight man but he's not he's not particularly interesting in any way he's yeah. just sort of there um and you know he made i think they made 30 something movies and he made five of them you know or mm. maybe or maybe 20 so maybe he made a third of the movies or something like mm. he was that with them for a while and then left. And there's a really indicative line um, from which I looked at, saw on Wikipedia that uh, the popular assumption that his character was superfluous was fueled in part by Groucho. According to Groucho's own story, when the group became the three Marx brothers, the studio wanted to trim their collective salary. And Groucho replied, we're twice as funny without Zeppo. So Ouch. this idea that not only is he not really interesting, he's not contributing much on his own, but no. the group is even might even be better off without him. Yeah. Yeah. So, well. you know, and I'm not none of that is to say that that is Xander's role. I mean, I think the whole point of this episode is to show why he's necessary and why he's an, an integral part of the group, I guess, and what it is that he brings to the table and everything. Right. But the whole question is, is he the bit of the group which is superfluous, that doesn't, you know, uh, have a, a skill or a superpower or any particular quality which makes him important to have around, you right, know? Right. Is he only there, when he's in there, is he only getting in the way? You know, that's kind of the question. Right, um, right. So, um... So, I mean, it's clearly a Xander, you know, even more than most other episodes. I mean, occasionally we'll get a 
a willow heavy episode or a cordy head but this one is well well and truly xander centric you mm -hmm. know it's really all about his story and everything yeah um so it is interesting to see about his weird night yeah his, his very strange night that he <laughs> has um and you you have to want i don't mean this seriously but you have to kind of wonder is this what xander is this what Xander's life is like? And we just don't realize it. That there's a hint that, like, kind of this stuff might always be going on in the background, but yeah. because it's Xander, maybe... Or is this a particular strange night that just happens to coincide with this, you know, climax over in the Buffy side of the plot? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't think we're meant to necessarily believe that he's out having these sorts of adventures every night on a regular um, basis. <laughs> I think, I think there's a couple things because I think first of all, normally we would see him with the group yeah. and, and, and so whatever adventures he does have would be with them with them um, yeah. or at least on their behalf, like a little more, um, you know, directly tied to whatever the, the evil of the week is happening. Um, yeah. So th I guess that's sort of a no from me, a no vote anyway, yeah. um, that I don't think we're meant to read it that way. But I think we are meant to read it in that it is the sort of thing that, yeah, like it, it, it sort of coalesces around the fact that he is excluded. And there's, you know, there's this real sense of, you know, being excluded from one group sort of yeah. pushes him into the arms of this other group unwillingly. Like, I mean... Yeah. He doesn't even want to be there. And you just think of like that moment where um, Jack O'Toole, you know, says, uh, you know, after Xander sort of says to the cop that nothing untoward is happening. Um, and, and Jack's like, oh, I, I like you now. Like, and Xander's like, yay. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Now he just sort of has to be with him. And then, you know, we're going to get the boys and, yeah. you know, now well, we need a wheel man. Like every chance he tries to get away until he eventually just runs. Uh, he, yeah. he can't, you know, it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the wish a little bit where I think I talked about at the time that a more conventional version of that story would have been Cordelia's journey towards understanding that Buffy is actually important. That, mm -hmm. like, it would start with her wishing her out of Sunnydale, and then the culminating moment at the climax would be, gosh darn it, I've learned my lesson, we really do need Buffy after all. But it kind of subverts that, and has her realize that, like, in the first ten minutes. Right. You know, and then the, the, the rest of the episode is just And then she dies, out. and... Yeah. And then she dies. So, the kind of subvert... This is kind of the same thing, where... You know, with Xander getting picked on at the beginning by Jack and by Cordy, and then his little speech to Oz about, you know, cool, what is it? How do you get it? Who doesn't have it? And who decides who doesn't have it? Mm -hmm. What is the essence of cool? The, the, the setup is supposed to be, this is Xander's journey towards understanding what cool is or... or why cool isn't what you should be striving for, whatever, you know, that, but really it's not that because again, the more conventional version of the story would be he, you know, gets rejected by the Buffy group to go find a group, which he thinks is cool. And, and then in the end realizes, well, they're not really so cool. But like you said, 
he doesn't really want to be with the boys. Like, he spends the whole episode trying to not be with them, trying mm-hmm. to get out of that, and offering to help with the Buffy and the Scoobies right, wherever right. he can and getting <laughs> turned down. And so, again, it's that subversion of what you think it's... It's not really... I mean, I think in the end, Xander does achieve a level of cool that he hasn't before. Right. And it is that kind of, yeah, you're cool when you aren't trying to be cool kind of a thing. You know, that's really, you know, the the end point of the story, I guess. But, like, it's not like he spends the whole episode thinking that the boys are cool guys to hang out with and has to learn the lesson about that. Like, it could have been a cliched story about, like, peer pressure. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of not. Like, he's pretty much spending the whole episode trying to get away from them and trying to not get involved with them and realizing this is a bad crowd and I don't want to be here and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, a, it's a little smarter than you would think. Like, I could see a version of the story which was a little bit more predictable, but it kind of is smart enough to steer around that, yeah. which is nice. No, and and not that there there doesn't any sort of growth or, or realization or anything, but I, no, I think you're no, right. No, not like at there's, all. There's definitely, um, yeah, it, it doesn't follow the sort of trajectory you might anticipate. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, so you definitely get the sense of, right, it's it's more about he just has to learn how to stop trying so hard. And that's what, um, even like Oz sort of in the beginning when he's having that discussion, it's it's like, that's great. you know, he's like, well, what do I have? And Oz goes, well, an exciting new obsession. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, the very obsession is what you need to get rid of. Well, um, and exactly that, What you know, what is cool? Oz, you're considered cool. And Oz goes, am I? And the fact that Oz doesn't know he's cool is kind of what makes him cool. You know, right. like the fact that cool is not what he's concerned with, that he just is himself, you know. Right. And, and it's the striving and the obsessiveness, mm-hmm. which is... Right. Sanders sort of downfall, right. you know, which is begun by getting his uncle Rory's car, you know, uh-huh. it's like, yeah, you know, Oh, this, <laughs> that whole scene of it's my thing. It's what, what is, yeah. is this a penis metaphor? Is like, this a penis metaphor? <laughs> you know, what's yeah. going on here? Why, why yeah. is this important? And why should we be paying attention to it? And right. There doesn't seem to be a reason. And of course, what does it do? It attracts a crazy girl. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's it's again that and well and 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 now he has wheels which attracts, you know, the criminal element <laughs> as yeah. he so colorfully puts it. Uh yeah. you know, so it's it's you know, again, it's that essence of trying too hard, but it's it's when he stops focusing on being cool and stops sort of you know, trying to to understand, you know, or even and even it's when he sort of stops trying to be part of Buffy's group too. You know, mm-hmm. because it's it's at the point where he sort of realizes, like, okay, I'm not, like, he's been been literally rejected by everyone in the group by that point. Yeah, you know, right, like one after the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, successively, and so after the last one with Faith, who we'll have to talk <laughs> about, um, you know, he he he's in the car, and it's like, then he realizes, oh, oh, they're not baking a cake; they're making a bomb, actually. That's, hey, hey that's a euphemism, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, and goes off and stops worrying 
about yeah. what Buffy and the others are doing and realizes he actually can do something and should do something to stop these guys um, that, that he sort of takes off and, and, you know, becomes more interesting just sort of all around, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. Anyway. So that would be the trajectory of, of sort of his character in the episode as I see it. Um, yeah, going to no, that, I agree. Go, getting to that moment though, of where he finally says, um, you know, he, Cordelia gives him a lot of little epithets, but one of the things that that she says is that he's expendable, and mm. and he gets to that point where he's okay with his expendability to the point where just like uh, you know Radigan, <laughs> he's sitting mm-hmm. there with a bomb and the bad guy mm-hmm. and saying, you know what, yeah. I like the quiet. I'm okay with being the one to sacrifice himself if it means it'll save everyone else well and 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 that but also if he does that you know if if him sacrificing himself or being willing to sacrifice himself does do good and save lives and contribute that's hardly expendable you know that's not what cordy means by it might be literally expendable in the sense of he's the one to you know willing to be killed off for the greater good, but the whole point of expendability is it doesn't matter what happens to you, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, he's, by kind of being willing to put his own life on the line, he kind of, you know, automatically becomes not expendable, you know, because what he does matters, yeah. you know, and it's him, it's his own willingness to stay with the bomb and play the game of chicken and try to convince Jack to disarm it that ends up saving the school yeah. and I guess saving all the others because if the school blew up, presumably they'd all go with it. Yeah. Well, so, and the whole um, mouth would continue opening and yeah, there'd be yeah. screaming and yeah. apocalypse everywhere. Yeah. So it's almost like embracing his own literal expendability. Like I guess his own mortality or his willingness to sacrifice himself makes him the integral part of the group, Mm. you know, that that's, you need people who are willing to sacrifice and to support, you know, because that's kind of the the point of the team, you know, is having each other's back. So, right. Right. And to do so in a way that's not showing off or saying, look what I did, you know, and all of that. Um, Greg Stevenson and another scholar just sort of points out that notice that, Xander's big moment of heroism is in a basement. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's out of the way. It's, you know, there's no one else around. It's not, you yeah. know, he's not, it's not in a spaceship above the word world for everyone else to see. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, it's quiet, secluded, yep. just him and the bad guy and the ticking yep. bomb. And, and when he survives it in the end, he doesn't, say anything to the others you know and and you get the irony of um willow saying no one will ever know what we did you know which is funny because we don't know what they did you know (laughs) so it there's talking about like the us you know but also they don't know what xander did and xander's cool enough to not really tell them and to just keep that to he knows what he did um and he doesn't need to 
use that to prove a point or to, yeah. you know, to pu- to puff himself up or make himself feel he knows he's not expendable. Right. He knows what he achieved and that's kind of enough. And that's kind of what makes him cool in the end is his sort of, yeah. you know, I'll go, anybody wants snacks? I'll go get you snacks. You yeah. know, like, well, right, you right. Know. And he, right. And he's okay in that role too, which is, yeah, he's the guy who gets the donuts. That's fine. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. if that's the way that I support the team, yeah. then that's the way I support the team. Um, yeah, but no, I, I like that whole play on the, because we get that sort of the epilogging moment, uh, you know, at the end of each of these scenes, the the sort of post-denouement, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, and and until now, we've always known what they've been talking about. But now it it does sort of seem kind of weird and, and pompous in a way that they're talking about it, like in the middle of the quad at the school, you know, yeah. saying, how great are we? And no one will ever know what we did yeah. And, yeah. and whatever. And Xander's just like, yeah, okay. You know, moving on. I, yeah. I'll, I'll go get some snacks if you want. So, yeah. so there, it, like, even though we don't know what they did, we don't really care what they did because like you, right. like you pointed out just now had, had, Xander not been able to stop uh, Jack and the boys, it would have mattered what they yeah. had done. They still yeah. would have been blown up with the school and yeah, world would have been in peril anyway. So yeah. really, like, you have to take one step back from whatever they did and look at what Xander mm-hmm. was able to accomplish there. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely some good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So we we should talk about a few particulars of his night. Um, okay. and, and I mean, we're already resigned to that. We're going to be talking about Xander for most of the rest of this yeah. episode. We will have other things to say about a few of the others, I guess, but uh, sort of in relation to him. Um, yes. So, all right. We I, I already mentioned Faith. We got to get, well, all right. Maybe let's talk about the three sort of women that affect him <laughs> in this episode. So we, okay. we already mentioned a little bit Cordy. Anything beyond what you've already said about her? Uh, that is a good question. Let me go to my QWERTY section. Um, I mean, I guess, too, that this is still fallout from the end of their relationship. That, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously, these are insecurities that Xander's had for a long time. But it's, it's you know, this story happens because QWERTY goes out of her way even more than she would have originally to... Right. Put him down and make him feel right. You know, like nothing. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Right. I know. mean, we've seen we've seen her insulting him since the first episode, yeah. but but I think you're right. There's a certain viciousness and intensity to her insults yeah. now. Um, sort yeah. of laced with, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. And then that sort of. Uh. R- reversed in the end with his sort of in the wake of his own awesomeness, <laughs> his sort of invulnerable silence, you know, that she kind of can't penetrate that, that her words don't mean much if he doesn't respond, you know, and mm-hmm. he, his, his, he, he knows what he went through last night. And, you know, for now that's enough. And Cordy kind of can't touch him then, you know, right. that really, it re- it kind of is revealed these might be Xander's insecurities that he might struggle with, but really this is Cordy's own hurt, which is coming back, you know, and, and her words 
might be touching nerves, but you also have to take them in light of the source, you know? Right. So I think kind of at the end, you see how much of that is, how much can, can she really affect him if he doesn't let her kind of thing? So I think that's kind of an interesting level to the relationship that she's no longer the one. I mean, I hate to say she's no longer the one with power because I don't want to sound like Cordy's the bad guy. You know, clearly, you know, he had power over her and, you know, that, you know, it was because of what he did that they broke up and everything. But in terms of her insulting him and putting him down, you kind of get a new sense of um, self awareness i guess for him at the end that he doesn't necessarily have to listen to that so yeah yeah well and and i think that that's sort of what we see throughout the episode is is his learning how to not listen to other people just in general you know just like you know just as much as him not listening to cordy is not listening to the others who say you know all you do is get thrown around or slapped you know, by demons and tossed across a room or, you know, get in the way you're going to get killed, you know, that kind of thing, even coming from the people who are his friends. Um, so I, I think, yeah. I think that that's, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I don't have much more to say about Cordy either. So, um, Lisette, Lisette, who is the blonde who likes the yeah. cars. Yeah. Um, kind of vapid little maybe she seems really focused on cars yeah um yeah a lot (laughs) i mean clearly you know she's attractive and that's what well attracts xander to her in the first place um although yeah you're not quite sure if it's just that she's attractive or that it's that she's talking to him um and you know well exactly you know uh, it just happens to be there and whatever um and and i guess you know bringing in faith at the same time what i would just sort of point out is like you get sort of the the two aspects of buffy in these two characters right you get Uh the you get the blonde cute whatever but you get this like idea of what buffy might have been before she was a slayer Uh but then you get like the ultra slayer side of Uh you know whatever so it's like almost like these two sort of surrogates um I would say for Buffy that interesting that that we see Xander, yeah, uh, fraternizing with this episode, yeah. Um, you know, okay. To make of that what you will, I don't know that we have to look too deeply into that, but that that just sort of seems how uh, I would take it anyway. Yeah. Um, no, that's interesting. The uh... yeah, because they're both kind of shallow in their own way, you know one only cares about the material of the the cars and whatever. Like she only talks about the guys she's dated and really she just talks about their cars, um, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, faith with just, you talked about uh, the carnal nature of this episode that it's all, mm. uh, it's all physical. It's all shallow in a physical sort of, you know, momentary pleasure. Visceral, and then, yeah. and then, on to the next thing. No, no emotion, no depth, no sentimentality there. Right. So, well, and, and so there's the interesting play. Um, that, yeah, I don't, um, unless you have anything more to say about Lisette, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on her. She no, runs, she no. runs away. We never see her again. Um, no, pretty much. 
the uh, you know the interesting thing about Faith, of course, is that you get to that moment where you remember her statement about you know fighting demons and stuff, making her hungry and horny, hungry and, horny yeah. and um, and that's when you sort of realize, oh, what's going to happen? And then well, this and, is what's happening. And, yeah. and then you're like, well, I don't. I mean, I you know maybe this isn't going to happen. No, it's not. And then it happens. Yeah. 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 And you get no, like I, the three totally... seconds of cuddling <laughs> before she kicks him out. <laughs> before she unceremoniously kicks him out. And, and it, the other quote it makes me think of is, I don't remember exact phrasing, but her saying to Buffy, that's, you know, that's what I do with guys now is kind of use them and ditch them, right, you right. know, that they're good for one thing. And, there's no hanging around afterwards, you know? Yeah. Like, so not only does she have these sorts of, you know, desires, but she's unwilling to go past the immediate desire, you know, that that's about, she's about satisfying that. And then, you know, kicking the guy out before it goes any further. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and... no, so we're seeing kind of the literal practice of those faith quotes that we've had. She's talked about those things. But we get to see it sort of firsthand, literally through Xander. He gets right. sort of a firsthand experience of it. Right. Well, and and going back even to that that first when we first met Faith and in, in Faith, Hope, and Trick, um, when she reveals that little tidbit about <laughs> you know being hungry and horny, um, and Xander's explicit interest in this topic, yeah. uh, and and, right. and and wanting to know more about it, and now he knows more about it. Yeah. And he's not, I mean, yeah, he sort of has, I can't believe I had sex. You know, there's that moment yeah. where, you know, after he's driven away, but, but you don't get. I like that. Okay. Okay. Bombs. Dead guys and bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to keep himself focused. But I mean, you don't get that it was the most positive experience he might've had, you know, I, no, you know, so no. it's, yeah. you know, again, kind of, it's kind um, of a cheap way to, yeah about it yeah yeah definitely so you know again not sure we may need to make a whole lot about that but no, you know I, other i thought well i just i think i said this before we started recording that you know we we've had buffy and angel you know but their their relationship was always so weighted you know that there mm. was always you get that sense of deep reservoirs of emotion <laughs> with buffy and angel and 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 he loses his soul when they have sex, all this stuff. Like, it's so intense. And so this is really a very, probably the most sort of frank portrayal of sex that we've had so far in the mm. show, you know? Like, just of teenagers hooking up, you know? And um, I would never have guessed of all the characters that that would have been... Just the the randomness of Faith and Xander, you know? And the fact that it just sort of comes out of nowhere and hits you and then as soon as it started it's over and they're going in separate directions and it didn't mean anything and whether it has any repercussions it might i kind of wouldn't be surprised if it didn't you know if it was just a one night thing that you know neither of them mention and never goes anywhere that wouldn't surprise me terribly mm. so it kind of an interesting it, it was definitely uh, I didn't see that coming and found it kind of intriguing, you know, that, um, cause you know, they're still in high school. You don't really expect, I, this is the kind of scene I would expect once they got to college, mm. you know, but the fact that this came while they're still in high school, um, 
and kind of the bluntness of it um i found really interesting so yeah yeah, yeah. i'll be interested to see if it does go anywhere and if not you know that's interesting too so i will just point out that the first time that xander and cordelia kissed was under extreme emotional you know whatever okay. and 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 you okay know. so this is a th- this is a theme of you know i i'm neither i'm not there's no pattern at this point Two does yeah, not yeah. make a pattern so i'm just i'm just <laughs> Perhaps I'm trying to deceive you into thinking one thing and not another. No, I, I, I will okay. just point out that. So Okay. That's all I okay. will say. I will keep my eye out for the third in the potential pattern. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. So, uh, okay, well, what else about Xander? So I don't know that there's a lot more to say. I think we've covered um, most of most of what we say here other you know other than just to say that yeah this is definitely i mean i think we're meant to see it as and and i think it's generally been taken as a turning point for his character um that's not to say that he'll always be the most confident guy in the room you know Mm -hmm. going forward or anything you know that would be too much to ask for um but does sort of prove to him and we get the sense i think at the end that he is not only a valid part of the team but valid in his own right you know Mm -hmm. a a person who actually can do things and is capable of saving at least other people if not the world though we talked about how he sort of not vicariously but sort of tangentially does that as well Mm -hmm. um so yeah you know i i I think that um, I, I think that that's sort of our takeaway for him. Oh, I, one thing I did want to bring up, um, just on that note, that that this is generally considered sort of a turning point. It's it's also just generally considered one of the better episodes of Buffy overall. Um, yeah, much I much like that. the Doctor Light episodes we talked about, or at least like mm-hmm. with Blink. I know Love and Monsters, I guess, has a little more controversy around. Yeah, it. but I know some people feel that about. I know Love and Monsters is controversial, but I think there's definitely a support for that episode. Um, I mean, certainly, it's certainly unlike anything else. So depending on, you certainly can't dismiss it. I think, yeah. um, um, which kind of puts it in in the camp of being influential, if not one yeah. of the greater episodes. So, well, you know, like I mentioned, Rhonda Wilcox dedicates a chapter to this episode in her book, why Buffy matters. Um, there's been a number of academic papers and, and presentations that have focused on Xander and his transformation largely in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't mean to imply that he doesn't have any other changes in his character over the next, you yeah. know, however many seasons, of course, but um you know, just just want to point that out. Um, Entertainment Weekly actually listed this as number twenty three of the top twenty five Weedenverse episodes. So that obviously mm. includes uh, Buffy, Angel, Firefly, Dollhouse. Yeah. So you know, I mean, a much broader sort of thing. So you know, it didn't get the highest on the list, but it it made the top twenty five at least. Yeah, so, it's, um, it's good. Yeah, you know, definitely definitely get some overall general. Uh, good acclaim and and i think largely for that because we do see a sort of growth here in xander that um yeah we've probably been hoping for since the beginning of season (laughs) one you know what i mean so it's a nice uh nice sort of thing to do yeah um 
No, it's good. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And it is nice to see Xander get that kind of transformational hero moment. Um, is good for him, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah, and, and especially since we've talked about how his character, uh, you know, he, he is sort of the funny guy and has his quips and whatever, but, you know, he also has that really nasty, caustic side. Yeah. You know, and, and I think part of that is probably or has historically been due to his, uh, y- you know, his his lack of confidence and, and some of that yeah. is coming out of there. So, you know, maybe we'll have to see if that changes or how much it changes or, or what. But, um, you know, I think I think that that's another sort of aspect that might be a positive, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of thing here where. Where at the mm-hmm. end, it's not about getting in, you know, the little jab or whatever. It's just, okay, you can think what you want. I'm walking away now. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. No, that's that's a good point. Like, how much does that sort of uh, silence in the end, both not telling Buffy and the others what he did and not rising to Cordy's insults, mm-hmm. that says a lot because he is someone who his biggest weapon is his mouth you know and it can be a force for good or it can be a force for nasty you know depending on the situation so it is new to sort of see him confident enough to not say anything Mm -hmm. you know to just be confident in his own sense of self-worth and everything that that's a new development for him no and that's actually a, a good point you brought up about his his weapon is his mouth so to speak like it's um and we've talked about sort of the joss whedon um character you know him being the joss whedon character i mean that's you know the smart alec joss whedon is is the master of words you know in a way and 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 this is what xander is he talks his way out of situations or into them and 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 that's how he defeats Jack in the end, right? It's with his words. Yeah. It's it's painting a picture of him being exploded all over the place and being picked up yeah. by a janitor that you don't come back from, um, which ultimately acknowledges that, or at least makes Jack think that he is more fearful of that. So, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great point to 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 mention that that is sort of his his weapon, and we'll see maybe maybe he's going to learn to be a little more incisive at this point rather than mm. just sort of casting it about, you know, yeah, slashing at whatever happens to be within reach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good stuff. So, yeah. all right. Uh, in the last sort of 15 minutes or so, what about the other cast and, and crew yeah. here? Um, because everybody else, yeah, we, we, we do um, see them all, but you know, we sort of talked about like, they're just sort of in their normal, like almost yeah. generic kind of well. Roles. So that's really what I want to what I want to talk about is you know we kind of talked about um, the 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 meta element of the plot, the fact that we don't know what's going on, and and it's alluded to at the end that we don't know what they did, and we'll never know, and that's kind of funny and everything. But I think the other big point. Um, is the element you you kind of talked about how the music is self parodying and really that whole subplot with everybody else is one big self parody 
Um, and it is hilarious, you know, to go through, like you said, like the most iconic edging toward cliched versions of all of the various characters that you put them in the kind of, you know, essential scene which they belong to. So, you know, Buffy and Angel are having... <laughs> You, you kind of you kind of realize <laughs> big how emotional relationship to, conversation. You, you realize how many of those we've and I'm and I don't I don't mean this to say like that this is making me realize like oh you know every episode is the same or anything I, but but I think there is like an element of self-awareness in the show that it's sending itself up a little bit you know mm -hmm. or at least it's having fun with some yeah. of those like those ideas that we've had several times so yeah. when you get Buffy and Angel you get Angel at his most sort of melancholy and self-sacrificial, and you get Buffy and Angel in their in one of their sort of tearful, dramatic confrontations and declarations of love and everything. Mm -hmm. And you, it just yeah. it makes it makes you smile. It puts a new spin on that, you know. And um, I don't know. Well, I don't know where. And you I, said I, like I, about you know Willow is kind of either doing getting magic stuff from the store or like you know um you know casting spells for the group or using her intelligence all these things and it, like they're yeah. at the most all the characters are at the most basic versions of themselves mm -hmm. you know kind of fulfilling their normal plot function in the background um and the yeah. same that's kind of reminds me of Dr. Light again because both the scene with you know the 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 Scooby Doo scene and the one with you know the bow and arrows and everything. I think they're doing the same thing. Of you know, I, I think it was Stephen Moffat talking about for the average. You know, you you don't think about it because you watch the show every week and it seems normal. But when you see it out of context, you realize how stupid the doctor's <laughs> life looks from the outside, and that's different than yeah. how it looks from the inside. This is kind of the same thing, like. When you're in the episode with Buffy, this all makes sense, and right. it, you take it seriously and you buy it. But looked at from the outside, you kind of see the the absurdity of it, you know, mm -hmm. and and the kind of like overblown, yeah. like you said, like the, the pomposity of the way that they sit around and sort of discuss their experience at the end, and <laughs> like and the right. the notes about you know that. Uh, you know, when it, when we saw its face, its real face, I mean, and and <laughs> and Giles making the doing the bravest thing that Buffy's ever seen, and right. like it's also over dramatic, and it's it was really really funny. Yeah, so yeah, I got no, a big I, kick out of it. I think there's a couple of things that that sort of jump out at me. One is like in in a lot of those scenes, because they're so generic, and because you know we've seen them over and over again like you're hard pressed to come up with like, what are any of the details? So like the scene in particular with Buffy and Angel, like I, I don't know how many times I've seen this episode. I have no idea what they're talking about in that <laughs> scene. Like they're just the, the, the language and, and not in a bad way, but the language that they use is just so generic. And so, yeah. you know, resonant of things that we've heard over and over again. And you're right. We have seen, this scene over and over again. And this is a sort of composite, but at the end of it, I don't really know. 
what is going on because <laughs> it could you could take that scene and plop it into you know probably a dozen other episodes and it would and fit, it would fit yeah. you know perfectly fine yeah um same with you know willow coming out of the magic shop you know oh i had to go to the magic shop for a spell you know blah, blah, blah. what what type of spell oh, oh well yeah. it was a protection spell yeah. okay yeah you've done plenty of those You're, we're good yeah. you know like you can yeah. move on so you know um and again you know they're sitting in the library you know doing research or whatever yeah. and and yeah. um so yeah you know you, you get all these sort of scenes but it's the it's the outside perspective but it's also it's sort of the it's it's the outside perspective coupled with xander's interruption mm-hmm. in them because He's not part of it anymore. Like we're, yeah. you know, we're looking at it from an external view, but the whole point we're in an external view is because they've sort of kicked Xander out of the process. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. the other one was, yeah, uh, you know, Giles sort of in his recitation of Latin or pseudo Latin yeah, or whatever, you know, calling on and, the spirit. Yeah. You know, it's like you know, you know, using his Watcher abilities to you know yeah. summon stuff, and but it doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just like. <laughs> You know, again, there's that, there's that could happen and, every week too. Is, yeah. is Giles tries to get support and help and receives none. Right, <laughs> it's right. like a a, a a pretty standard Giles yeah. scene, you know. And, and how many cults have we seen try to bring about the apocalypse at yeah, this point? Yeah. I mean, half dozen yeah. at least, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like so. You know, and okay, you know, we only saw the big monster once at the end of of season one, but you know, it's like, yeah, I've been there, done that, defeated it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. So, you know, again, you're just sort of like all of these little things, but it's, again, the jarringness is, is both from the outside perspective, but also realizing that that outside perspective is, is put upon Xander precisely because they don't want him helping. And so, yeah. you know, from that outside, it just all kind of looks like, yeah, okay. Uh, nah. This is all weird and and and, yeah. and 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 generic and I don't really know what's going on here. So Yeah. Interesting bit of uh stuff. And I think that's that's why I, I mean there is a story there. Like I mean I don't think they like half assed it or anything. Like there is you know, they do give a name to the cult, the cult of G or whatever, and however you pronounce it, sisterhood of G. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and they do talk about, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, what might happen. Well, you know, this monster will come out in the hellmouth and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, you don't really care about any of that, ultimately. No. Like, you don't... Like well, I w- and it's so clearly played for comedy that it's difficult to take it sort of totally seriously in that mm-hmm. way. Because, like, when those lines I think are meant to be funny. Like the lines about this is the worst thing we've ever faced. And that was the bravest thing I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. Like it's, it's, it's pointedly meant to make you laugh because it's so, you know, deliberately withholding the information from you or not even withholding it. It's like, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like, like the only you're aware. It's not like, it's not like the kind of thing like where um, the the writer is withholding information because they have like a mystery that they're unraveling. You know, that you're supposed to follow the clues and try to work out what's going to happen or try to figure out how the pieces. It's like there is no further story. Like you're very aware of the fact that 
the only bits that were written were the bits that you need to know for the episode. That, like, and the whole point of it is that, like, you know, the... It's not like, oh, we're, you know, there's some, Giles did something that we're never really going to know what he did. Like, no, Giles, that was never written. That's not part of the story. And mm -hmm. you're kind of aware of the fact of it as a story that's written and the fact that nobody wrote that bit of the story. Right. It seems like I keep coming back to this meta element of it's like so clearly talking to the audience that it's hard to take it seriously like, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. Like, I think it's a really good, you know, self-critique and self-parody and actually works really well. Um, but I don't think it's to be taken seriously as a story of its own. Like, its its purpose is to be the thing which you only see, you know, 10% of, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, yeah. No, I think it's it, it's really smart and well done. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, good job. Good, good job. job, David Weber. Why did or what's his name? Dennis Weber. Why didn't Dan you Weber. write more? Yeah. Dan, I keep. Let's get those D names mixed up. <laughs> it's all good. It's he should late, have written more. And we're at our time anyway. So okay. any any final thoughts for the Zeppo? Um, any final thoughts for the Zeppo? I think that's everything that I have. Cool. Um, yeah. Good episode. We'll... Oh well, it, the only other thing was that it, I, it it set me off laughing right away because it has the shortest previously on section ever. It's like previously oh. on Buffy, you're fired, and then it goes straight into the episode, and oh, okay. it made me laugh. So um, I just like that how it alludes to the fact that Giles is fired, and he they make a little they make a little reference to him not having any sources anymore. But really, that's the only... So we haven't uh, really had the chance to learn any more about that whole Watcher situation, but... Th that's interesting. So um, I that must be... Are you, you watch it on Netflix, right? Is that... Yeah, is that yeah. Because that's not on the DVDs, which okay. is how I watch it. So I, I was not it's, aware of that, but that's... It's hilarious. It literally says, previously on Buffy, the, the Watcher Council guy says, you're fired. Mm. And then it cuts to black. <laughs> and the episode starts. It's literally one line, and it, I busted out laughing. That and is kind of funny. So, uh, but at least that's there to remind us that oh yeah, what, Giles is fired, yeah. and we still can't forget that that's going on too. So right, right, which leaves open the question of when does the new Watcher arrive? Yes, yes. So anyway, on that note, we shall wrap up and get going for next week. All right. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>